Welcome to the Yams and Yuga podcast, where we explore the fabric of Black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Heather. Hi, everyone. I'm Kamara, and we are your co-hosts. Welcome to our new listeners joining us today, and a special thank you to those of you who are returning to the table with us. Yes, welcome back. It has been a while. We took a short little break. Um, but we are now getting ready to go into the next half of our first season. So we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, we're not going to have an appetizer. We're going to jump right into that main meal. And we do have a special guest, although it's someone you're familiar with. So we will be featuring none other than our co-host, Kamara Gray. Some of you may already know her, but I'm going to go ahead and read some of her official credentials. Kamara is an experienced dance teacher and performer of Jamaican heritage who has taught extensively in the UK, Australia, and Kuwait. She was born in Papua New Guinea and grew up in Sydney, Australia, where she began studying dance at age four. Kamara continued her dance training at the Ailey School in New York and Dance World 301 in Melbourne, Australia, before moving to London, where she completed her teacher training with the British Ballet Organization, also known as BBO. Kamara has taught and lectured at numerous schools, colleges, and universities, including Erdang Academy, Bucks New University, City and Islington College, Irie Dance Theater, and the Royal Academy of Dance School. She previously worked in Kuwait, where she was the head of theater at the British Academy of International Arts and introduced the BBO tap dance syllabus and examinations to the country. As a performer, her credits include film, television, and live events, including the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games opening ceremony as a lead tap dancer, the MTV Europe Awards, and La Espanol with the Royal Opera. She is also on the board of trustees for the English National Ballet. Mm, welcome, Kamara. I Hi. like that. I learned Hi. something there. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Heather. Of course. Well, you know, it's not a show unless you're here. And wow. Okay. So I'm already anticipating learning a lot more. I knew like... I knew I would because, you know, we always uncover more about artists when we're talking on this platform. But even just reading your bio, I'm like, OK, girl, work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably yeah. like a third of that. Right. You know, it's so funny because our guests are always surprised when they hear their bio read out. And it's mm -hmm. the same for me. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, girl, you did that. <laughs> so before we get into sort of like the work that you do and, um, you know, the things that, you know, all of your credentials, as we see, we're just going to get to know you personally a little bit better. Let's start off with an easy one, but maybe not. Uh, <laughs> what is a significant memory growing up that shaped who you are today? So this was the question that should be easy, but it's, it was, I had a lot of memories written down. <laughs> so I'm just going to do, I'm going to do two actually. One of them is I used to take part in this event called Rock Sedford. It's a massive dance competition that they have in Australia and it takes schools compete and you prepare for about a year to prepare this performance. And it's about, has to be eight minutes long, seven or eight minutes long, and it, you can have up to a hundred dancers in it. So we would rehearse every Sunday to create this performance piece and you'd perform it and you'd go through rounds. And if you'd get to the, if you got to the finals, 
you'd perform at the entertainment center, which is kind of like the equivalent of Wembley or the O2, um, you know, at Greenwich or something like that. So it's a big deal. And um, that really shaped me because one, I was rehearsing every Sunday in high school. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably where I got my idea for, for doing classes on Sunday because that's what I used to do. And we, me and my classmates, there was a group of us, we were responsible for choreographing it. Mm-hmm. And I watched it back, one of them back just recently. And I was, I was just realized that, you know, I've been choreographing things since I was like, you know, 14 or something, um, things that have been on, on a big stage. So that was quite significant for me because it, it formed a lot of my friendship groups. Um, it took up a lot of my time. It kind of shaped my identity in high school you know I was known as a dancer Mm. and and through that I got to have a lot of different friends in in different year groups because involved people across different year groups um so yeah so that was something that really really shaped me and any kind of Australian person uh involved in dance knows about Rocker Stepford and it was it was a big deal very prestigious and if you got to the finals of that it was like it was it was really good so um, uh, that was one of my significant things because it involves dance. Uh, and then I think the second thing was, which I, I didn't realize the significance at, at the time, but I went to a language primary school. Mm. Um, it was called International Grammar School and it was compulsory to learn two languages. Uh, and we did two hours of languages every day learning. Um so the the students were from all, all different backgrounds and I learned Japanese and French and Latin in primary school. Wow. And I remember um, from my preschool even learning a bit of Arabic as well. I remember going to a restaurant once and ordering in Arabic for some reason. I don't know why that stuck out. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, just that that memory, I think, of just learning different cultures, different languages, that's something that's – I took that as normal and I didn't realise that's not a thing that people do, Yeah, study language for two hours a day. Yeah, no, not that young. So what do you remember, if anything? Oh, my gosh. The Japanese is zero. So that one, <laughs> that one didn't go down too well. Um, the French, I can still I can still speak French. Um, unfortunately, now when I go to France and I speak French, they answer me in English. I mean, there's nothing more of a kick in the teeth when you speak to French people and they answer you in English, you know? So. Or when they just stare back at you like, right. what did you just say? really girl because that's what I experienced (laughs) and I was with somebody who spoke fluent right they still Uh, looked at her like I don't understand you exactly yeah confusion yeah yeah it's hard because my accent used to be on point um but now you know I think it's just confidence if I spent time there I'm sure it would come back fairly quickly but yeah the French definitely I still have Japanese and Latin not so much no. And I remember from our conversation with your um with your sister, like you guys would have exchange students in your mm-hmm. home as you were growing up. Did you practice learning language like 
those languages with them at all or yeah actually I used to do what we would do especially because we had quite a few Japanese students Mm -hmm. and we would do a conversation exchange so we Mm -hmm. would speak for an hour in Japanese and then we would speak for an hour in English so I do remember doing that that was something that uh, we kind of tried to make a consistent thing whenever we had Japanese students that was really helpful for both of us you know like an exchange Um, the thing with uh, the exchange students it was a really amazing experience uh when we spoke with Talia she she spoke about you know how they'd bring their culture with them of course some mm-hmm. of them would stay for a week some of them we had for a few years I think one we had for wow. several years and um and they would always my mum would always get them to cook so mm-hmm. not every day they weren't there to cook like it was like a special <laughs> make them cook (laughs) just make that clear um but you know like on their final day or something like that they would bring their friends around and they would cook their traditional food so it was kind of you know like a celebration yeah they they would share their culture with us and then they would bring some of their friends that they'd met at the English school because they were all here studying English and they would cook their traditional food so yeah, so that was really good just to just to have those different cultures again embedded mm. in our lives. Um, I remember because I was older than than my brother and sister, so I wasn't actually around the students as much as they were because mm. I was um, always at dance class or or something like that. So it was still um, an important part of our lives, and again, just something that I I guess I took for granted, like learning a language for two hours a day, having people from a different culture and having them integrated in our lives and I guess it's more it was more than that because it's our mom teaching us how to how to behave with different cultures mm-hmm. the different cultures are not unusual or anything like that to to be open to everybody so I think that is something that was really instilled in me from a very very young age yeah yeah that's- that's beautiful. That's really yeah. beautiful. So, so speaking more on your upbringing, let's run this back for people who didn't quite catch it the first time. <laughs> Jamaican heritage, <laughs> right? Born in Papua New Guinea. Yes. Grew up in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. Now living in London. Has been here for quite some time, like decades now. Mm-hmm. Spent some time in the States. Obviously, when you trained at the Ailey School, I imagine you were there for at least a summer or a year. Mm-hmm. How long were you at the Ailey School? I was there for like six months. Six months. So, okay. Yeah. Six months. That's long enough to get something embedded in you there. Yeah. Right. So all of that, people, I hope you caught up. Jamaican heritage, <laughs> born in Papua New Guinea, grew up in Sydney, Australia, spent some time in New York, has been living here in London for the past... It's like 18, 18 years now. Yeah. yeah 18 and then, years. And then I was in Kuwait for two years as well. In Kuwait. Oh, forgot. Oop, Kuwait and for two years. Okay. So where is home, girl? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Do you know what? Because I because I grew up in Sydney, I really feel like Sydney is my home. I mm-hmm. even though I've been here for a while, I I still don't I didn't feel British. I didn't know why. I, I still feel like I'm I'm here kind of temporary. <laughs> 18 years is not temporary. <laughs> I know, maybe I'm in denial. Let me live, Heather. <laughs> You're a Londoner, um, girl. No, no. 
sadism. So, um, but yeah, no, definitely. I feel in my heart, Sydney, Sydney is my home. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there, you kind of introduced me to this concept of third culture, Mm -hmm. which I just found, I knew people who were of third culture, but just never really kind of I didn't know that term or didn't understand it. So before we talk about your experiences, can you explain to the listeners what it what does it mean to be of a third culture? Yeah, so somebody introduced this uh, concept to me and, you know, upon looking it up, it's when you have grown up with a different culture to your parents mm. or you have, um, I looked it up again, um, or in a different place to your country of nationality. So, so that you have a different experience to what your parents had really, and they're, they're bringing a different culture into it. So my, um, my family is of Jamaican heritage. My mom was born in London and she grew up in London and my dad was born in Jamaica and he came to London as a teenager. So he spent a lot of time in London. So neither of them grew up in Australia um, or had that experience of growing up in Australia. They moved to Papua New Guinea uh, for work reasons. They had the opportunity to work there and they were both uh, lecturers. Mm. And then they had the chance to uh, basically where Papua New Guinea is, is it's not it's not easily accessible you can't just get a flight to London from Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. so what I understand is they went to Australia which is the closest biggest country and they looked into um studying they wanted to do some further studies studies and you know Australia has has a good reputation so they were studying there and then they applied to stay in in Sydney um so yeah so I grew up in Sydney and my brother and sister were born in Sydney and, you know, a lot of people ask me, what what is it like growing up in Australia, especially as a black person? Um, and mostly other black people ask me this question. And it's just funny because when it's your norm, I, I don't know any difference. So I never yeah. grew up thinking, well, this is weird or what am I doing here? Or I'm different. I, I Those thoughts never came into my head because that was my norm, yeah. you know. And the one thing about Sydney and because of how it is and, you know, I'm not saying it's not without its issues as far as um, racism and discrimination goes, but for people of um, African and Caribbean heritage, the majority of people that I knew from that background, which wasn't a lot, they were all, their parents were kind of professionals. You know how the immigration system works in Australia, you kind of have to be a professional to be able to go there to, to get a visa. So the types of people that I knew, yeah, their parents were all professionals. And so my friends who were not black, their experience of other black people was of professional educated black people so Mm. that was the experience that I had it was positive growing up there had a lot of opportunities and because I mixed with the other people who were there I just did things that I thought were normal um that everybody did so even in high school I was on the rowing team I mean I don't now <laughs> that I think back to I don't think I've ever seen a black rower before but I was like yeah let's you know everyone's Work. rowing um Australians <laughs> are known for their rowing um yeah. skills yes I was on the rowing team um don't ask me why because you have to be (laughs) on the water at 5 a.m or something ridiculous like that and that is not me so I last one season (laughs) one season rowing um but it was good you know it was a really good experience really good team 
teamwork because you have to work hard. I was in a boat, a four boat, um, mm. and you can't you can't let up for a second. It's not like a, a game of basketball. Whereas if you, everyone takes their turn, exactly, yeah. and you know you can kind of breathe for a second. If you let up for a second in that boat, if you're not in the exact same rhythm sink. as everyone, yeah. else, exactly, you overturn and you, you sink literally. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so I had that experience growing up in Australia, which was completely different experience to my parents. And then, and then now that I've grown up and I've learned more and traveled more, what happens is the third culture means I feel a bit, not part of any culture, Mm. actually part of lots of cultures, but not part of lots of cultures so when I'm in the UK people wonder where my accent's from they tell me I sound American you know no one kind of acknowledges my Australianness when I'm in Australia my friends introduce me as their British friend I'm like wow. I'm not British I know it's been 18 years but I'm not British um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously in Jamaica they're like you know I'm a foreigner for sure Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's a weird thing where I'm, I'm from a lot of places, but yet a little bit out of place in a lot of places as well, which, which is a weird feeling, especially when I do go back to Australia and, and people are like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from here. Yeah. That has to be a very unique experience, especially, Mm -hmm. um, having so many cultures that feel like they should be a part of you or that you you feel a part of but like still have that sense of not belonging yeah which is really yeah probably hard to deal with when you are away from home you know exactly exactly so it's 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 a strange one like I feel a part of a lot of cultures but then a little bit disconnected from a lot of cultures as well so it's it's got it's positive and negative but yeah I'm really grateful for having grown up in Australia it was just it was amazing I found it an amazing experience. Yeah. 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 So what is um, your favorite food from home, from Australia? Please don't say Marmite because... Um, (laughs) You mean Vegemite? Vegemite, Vegemite. whatever that is. Yeah. That's that stuff. Um, yeah, no, no, no. So, um, so my favorite thing, like my favorite thing from Australia, would be the sweets. Okay. And um, the sweets, and there's a like a, a snack, like crisps. Um, no, it's a, a savory biscuit mm. called shapes they're called shapes so you have pizza shapes you have barbecue shapes they have all different flavors so from australia whenever i people come or i go there they buy me sweets as a gift because they know i like those they're called lollies there yeah um that's the thing from australia but my favorite food really is actually from jamaica okay um it's Aki's and salt fish. Mm-hmm. And I think my sister said the same thing for her mm-hmm. favorite dish in her interview. And as the national dish of Jamaica, um, it's a fruit, but they use it in a savory way. And it's cooked with salt fish and usually served with boiled rice. And it reminds me of Australia and my home there because my mom that was her thing. So for me, you know, I'd ask people to send me sweets or lollies. And for her, anyone coming to um, Australia should always ask them to bring a, a can of Aki's because mm-hmm. it's uh, you can it's sold in a can. And then she would like treasure this can. It would like be in the cupboard. You couldn't <laughs> open it. You're not allowed. To, I don't know. We had it, but you're not allowed to use it, right? <laughs> One of those ones. Um, so yeah, she'd always ask people. She's like, don't bring me gifts. Don't bring me anything. Just bring me a can 
of Aki's. Mm. This is gold. So yeah, so I just remember that because it just reminds me of of my mom and and what she would cook for us. So yeah, yeah. I love that too. Mm. So basically, your mom saving those um, precious cans of Aki is mm-hmm. like. Um, in some in some black households, you had that um, that dinnerware or like your china set that just sat in the mm-hmm. cabinet. You know your dishes right. that you just never use. <laughs> You're right. like this is exactly. for a special occasion. You're like, but exactly. Aren't they? It's dinnerware. <laughs> You're meant to use it when you have dinner. <laughs> that exactly. we're just gonna look at it. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So that was saved for a special occasion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. And often Christmas was one of those yeah. times. So you that did it at made. least get to eat it. We did get to eat it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she did share it with us. It wasn't like for guests or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> well, we know a little bit more about you, you know, personal mm-hmm. life, Kamara, what what makes you you and kind of how you identify. So can you tell us a bit about um the focus of your creative work? You know, we know you're a performer, choreographer, mm-hmm. a dance teacher. Um, just tell us a little bit more than what we've already known or heard. Yeah, so um, so my creative work, when I do a choreograph, I focus on jazz dance style. It's just a style that I've always loved since since being a child. And, you know, I fuse that with contemporary as well and then bring in some other influences, maybe from kind of African culture as well. Um, I tend to not do narrative work. I like more visually, just I, I like things that look visually pleasing Mm -hmm. for me you know I like color and and flows of fabric so I always think about how how the fabric is used in in the costumes as well Mm. with movement but I like to have a theme so it's always whenever I choreograph um, for me to get my ideas it's usually something that is on my mind at that point in time Mm -hmm. Um, so if anyone checks the names of the artistry youth dance shows (laughs) they're always something that I was thinking about at that time or something that I was feeling about so we had like fearless yeah you know at that time I was like you know Kamara you got to push through we got to do this Um, I had resilience yeah (laughs) similar themes so always um something like that are just you know we have so many challenges and you just have to find ways to rise above them and so I usually use that as inspiration for my choreography um I love group pieces I love mm-hmm. seeing lots of dancers on the stage interweaving with each other patterns and and um shapes on the stage with solos and and group work as well that's the focus of my creative work I've been you know strongly influenced by um you know those who know me know that I'm just obsessed with the Alvinelli American Dance Theatre. Yeah. Um, so their movement style, you know, I, I just love watching. I just love watching. It's just so gorgeous. And, um, yeah, so that, that's a, a big influence on, on my work as well. Mm-hmm. And is that sort of like how you like to create your work? Is that something that you've always done? Like even when you started choreographing when you were younger, or is that something – are those elements in that aesthetic that you've chosen? Is it something you kind of built over time? Um, I think it's just something that I've always done, actually. I've always had that style. And even from when I used to teach, so, you know, teaching was something 
uh, was never a goal of mine. It was always something that I did on the side. People Mm -hmm. would just always ask me to teach. As part of teaching, you generally have to choreograph something, you know, for an end of your show or something like that. And then I would just get lots of compliments about the choreography. You know, the students would really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I enjoyed it. And as I mentioned, the competition that we I used to do in high school called Ruckus Seven, and we were choreographing these massive numbers with a hundred people on stage, you know. And at the time, we just did it because it seemed like a bit of fun. Yeah, so it's just it is something that I've always enjoyed, and um, my style has always been influenced by jazz, definitely, um, and with some contemporary influences. And it's only since I have kind of traveled more, learned more, um, learned more about my culture that there are some kind of African heritage influences. I'll just say influences because it's not direct. Um, but I think even, and I remember hearing, I think it was Greta Mendes saying, because you are of African heritage, your movement is of African influence because that is you yeah. and you are the movement. Yeah. So regardless of whether what style you're doing, it's there. Y- your culture, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I always have had that mindset, especially yeah. like when there's the the age old debate about is a black person doing ballet someone right. doing dance of the African diaspora? Well, right. they're black. So yeah. they can't yeah. They can't negate. You can't separate. They can't, you separate, can't separate, separate the two. Yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I remember um, having this. I think. Yeah. And I think it was Greta who was talking. We were watching the um, the Sadler's Wells production of Ride of Spring mm-hmm. that was performed by dancers from Ecole de Salle. Mm-hmm. And so the dance style is contemporary, and people were like, "Is that contemporary? Or is it African?" And the the debate was, "Well, they are African of African heritage, so it you can't separate it. No. It can't." separate the two so I I would agree with that and that's that's what influences my creative work nice so what inspired you to start your own dance company particularly a youth company I remember it was when I came back from Kuwait actually so I I I was in Kuwait for two years I decided to end my contract actually you you always get asked if you want to renew each year Mm. So I decided to come back. And the reason why I wanted to do it is come back is because um, Kuwait can be quite isolating from a creative perspective. Um, There is not a lot of arts there. Mm. Um, And because I was the head of theater of a a dance and performing arts school, myself and my colleague, we were really creating a lot of art for Kuwait. So people would come to see our our student shows. That was like a Friday night out. You know, because um, at the time there wasn't a lot of things there. They have, they have a, I think they have an opera house there now, but at the time it's just not part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I came back, I was, I was looking for something to do. So the reason why I mention it is because I was in this mindset where I, I was itching for something to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think if I'd been in that mindset, the idea would have come to me. Um, I didn't have work when I came back. I didn't have any teaching work. And I went to see a show and it was of a dance college, you know, a, a full-time training college. Mm-hmm. And it had like hundreds of dancers of the stage on the stage. And I just couldn't see many dancers of color on the stage Mm. um there was less than a handful and I just thought 
I thought, why? I thought, why? I thought, you know, uh, are our young black dancers, do they not have the skills? Do they not have the knowledge that this school is available? Like, what What are the reasons? What are the, the factors? So that mm. was something uh, kind of in that moment, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have an environment that nurtured young talent, um, that nurtured young black talent specifically and gave them the, the skills and the tools and opportunities so that they can be dancing on these large stages as well. Um, they can be going to um, reputable schools, but just more have the, have the skills to do do the styles that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I particularly loved uh, watching a range of styles. You know, I, I love going to the ballet. I love going to watch contemporary dance. I love watching a lot of different things. And again, I, w- I felt that I wasn't seeing dancers of color in those um arenas either Mm. and again I thought what's going on here is there something I could do and it was partly influenced as well by my time at Ailey so when I went to you know as 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 you know as we've said I grew up in Australia there wasn't a lot of other black people around and so when I learned about the Ailey company and the Ailey school it literally like blew my mind I was like I've got to go I have, I have to go there I've got to go there I need to be there yeah. and I applied for the summer school and I got in uh, which I definitely took for granted at the time I thought everyone got in I'm like yeah I'm going to Ailey um <laughs> I know I know this now and then when I went there and I was in the lowest ballet class I, I remember I'd studied ballet since I was four and I was in the lowest ballet class everyone else was just exceptional yeah. and but the thing that I remember from there is I had um, a black ballet teacher for my first class mm-hmm. and then I remember walking past the company class and, you know, they all had their legs up by their ears and I was just in this environment. There were just so many different shades of Brown Mm -hmm. and I, I loved it. And I know we've spoken about this before, but you know, I've done ballet since I was four. I never got higher than like a pass in my exams. And that's like the lowest mark mark to get, you know, I was always told that, you know, my feet were flat. I had a banana back, all these things, Mm -mm. you know, um, and then I was, and I, I just never really excelled in ballet like I did in jazz and tap and 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 modern. Like mm-hmm. I would get distinctions in those styles, um, but ballet never. And then in this class, I had this teacher, and she developed her leg to second. I'm sure I've said this story so many times, and. I developing my leg to second. So for those who don't know, it's just like lifting your leg to the side. Mm-hmm. And I lift my leg so high and I even shocked myself. I was like, <laughs> how am I holding my leg up this high? Yeah. And it, she was doing it and I was doing it. And I was just so, ins- I could, you know, I, I couldn't put it into words at the time, but I know that it was being in that environment, seeing a range of different shades of brown of people doing ballet specifically. Yeah. Um, that I felt comfortable, I felt welcomed, and I felt that I could do it. Mm. I can do this. I can do ballet. It's not not for me. It is for me um, and yeah. anyone who looks like me. Um, so that memory um, also influenced me wanting to start the company because I remember how amazing I felt as a young Black dancer being surrounded by other Black dancers and Black teachers and people that look like me and just different shades of brown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to create a similar environment for other young people, for other young dancers of African and Caribbean descent. So yeah, so it was a combination of all those things. Having come back, 
having not much to do, mm-hmm. seeing another show without any dancers of color on it, you know, it wasn't the first time. And then having the memories of how I felt when I was in that in that class in Ailey. Yeah. 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 All put together. Yeah. And it's really important when you see yourself. I mean, we've had um we've had previous guests where we're talking about representation and visibility mm-hmm. and, and knowing that you're seen and that that the work that you do or your craft is it's of value to the people that, mm-hmm. that are training you and working with you. And it, it's probably also, you know, you had a teacher who could explain it to you that mm-hmm. you could register for your body because they're used to yeah. working with black dancers. You know, they're used yeah. to, to not discriminating simply on the fact that the body that's a dancer's body is different than mm-hmm. air quotes what they were used to or the norm because it's you know right you know the norm is different depending on where you are in the world um mm-hmm. so you're in a space that they could really cater to what you needed for your yeah, development exactly. yeah exactly and I think you know the thing is you know not saying anything for my ballet teacher in Australia um because she would have just been doing what she thought was normal you know no this this is nothing uh, about the teacher or anything like that Mm. um she was just taught that you know there's one shape for ballet um as many ballet teachers are um you know there's one body shape and she may not even been aware of the impact of what she was saying Mm -hmm. you know saying like I have a banana back no this is just my back like <laughs> right girl and why and why banana though because I mean I already have a feeling about that use you know what I mean yeah I have I have I have hips and you know yeah, yeah I have a curve in my lumbar spine um that is it that's you like know, normal uh, for me yeah have, <laughs> yeah exactly and also a lot of people of African heritage have hips and shape yeah there. yeah so yeah that's how it is that's how it goes girl (laughs) that's how it is yeah so part of what you do with the company is not just the work that you do in the studio as far as teaching classes or Mm -hmm. um creating choreography for them to perform it goes beyond Mm -hmm. that um how you work with the dancers including how I work with the dancers it goes into mentorship you know really paying attention to mm-hmm. each individual as they come into the space with us and providing exactly what they need to develop. So can you talk about the importance of mentorship for you? Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's so important to share um, my knowledge or or to support others. You know, I have been fortunate to have support around me most of the way, mm-hmm. um, or all of the way, I would say. And a, not a lot of people have that. So, so that's another thing that's important to me. You know, lots of people start companies or things because they didn't have it. No, I started it because I did have it. Mm-hmm. I did have support. I did have opportunities. I did have lots of things around me. So I know how it feels. And I want to make sure that other, other young dancers of African and Caribbean descent have those opportunities as well. So mentorship is important because it allows you to of help people become their potential Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and help people 
realize things that they may not even have realized or help them have the tools they need to achieve their goals. And I think we all need that, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we have desires or goals or things that we want to do, but we might not necessarily know how to, how to do it or the first step or, or anything about it. So, you know, me being a mentor, um, I feel that I, I, can support people to do that to find the tools they need to achieve whatever their goals are and um and also to remind people to stay on track and to that they have the potential to achieve whatever it is they want to Mm -hmm. that no dream is too big um and that you can do it and then on the flip side you know I need mentors as well for exactly the same reasons Mm -hmm. you know I have things that I want to achieve and you know, I, I, I respect other people who've done it before and I love to learn. I love to learn. I, I know that I don't know everything. So I do go to people to ask for their advice. Yeah. It's just so important. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. So we've heard some of your achievements, probably Mm -hmm. not all that you will accomplish in your lifetime because you have so much (laughs) more to do, but what would you say is your proudest achievement either personal or professional um so personal achievement my proudest or a proud achievement is definitely dancing in the sydney 2000 olympics opening ceremony yeah that was that was amazing that was such that was such an incredible experience yeah, it was a magical in this stadium surrounded by tens of thousands of people in the audience. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those, I can't even describe the feeling of of that being in the stadium surrounded by everyone and the roar and stuff and just being part of something that was so iconic, you know, so culturally iconic. So I was really proud of that. And I, I worked hard to be part of that as well because I actually had moved, <laughs> funnily enough, I'd moved away from Sydney that year, mm. the year of 2000. I was living in Melbourne mm-hmm. studying dance. And then I got asked to be part of the opening ceremony because of some other work that I'd done. So I would fly back to Sydney every weekend to wow. do the rehearsals. Um, Dedication. Yes, just so I could be involved. And then I didn't have much yeah and then I didn't have much money because I was a student so I would catch catch the night train which is awful it's like 10 hour 12 hour train trip but it's cheaper um so yeah so I'd either catch the night train to come up on Friday night um and then go back on Sunday night or they would have they started having those discounted flights and I would I would do those flights and I would pretend to that my hand luggage was really light so I could get it in the plane <laughs> so I didn't have to check it in and pay and pay my money <laughs> um so yeah so that that's what I would do I would yes. I would I would go back every weekend. <laughs> you guys are getting Congrats. real tricks of the trade here. If you didn't already know that <laughs> a lot of us artists <laughs> have done that. <laughs> save a little, save a little coin. <laughs> you got to save the coins. Exactly. I remember this one time, this air hostess, she came to me and you have to make it look light, right? <laughs> and she came to me and she looked at me and she was like, is this your bag? And I was like, oh yeah. And she said, <laughs> do you realize if this were to fall it would break someone's neck and she like gave me the look I was like oh really Really? would it (laughs) I didn't know (laughs) 
<laughs> She's like, we're going to have to check that in. I was like, yeah, he do that. Yeah. Hey, that's the key. Cause they get should, them to check it yeah. when you're already on the play. Cause then you don't pay. <laughs> you, don't pay. you don't pay. So, um, I'm not, I'm not advising this Mm-mm. to people out there. That's not what do we're not saying. try this at home. Okay. Um, but we've you know, been there I before is what we're saying. We've, we've been there before. I'm not saying to go there. Okay. Just, I'm going to put that out there, that disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to the question that Sydney Olympics is definitely my um, proudest achievement and also getting my work published in a book. Mm-hmm. We have, we've interviewed Maxine Beniba Clark Yes, and she, uh, she was the editor for a book called Growing Up African in Australia. And she asked me to write my story to be included in um, in the submissions. Yeah. So there was about 30, 30 people who contributed to the book and so mine is in there. So that is another achievement. And I didn't even realize it wasn't until we interviewed Maxine. I can't remember the number, but she said there were like hundreds of submissions. Yeah. I can't remember how many. I can't remember how many exactly, but yeah, definitely hundreds of submissions. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, something, you know, I didn't take it for granted, but I never really thought that like, there were literally hundreds of people who'd applied to have, who were trying. And and she asked me to put my submission in. So that is another thing that was just incredible for me. You know, my name, I have a, book my name is written in a book yeah girl that's so in, in case you didn't yeah. catch that plug when we said it in the previous episode <laughs> i think that's episode eight said it a lot. you've said it a lot yeah growing up african <laughs> in australia go get the book yeah. edited by Maxine <laughs> Clark. go get it Ron's exactly. in there. <laughs> okay um yeah. yeah so what's um the biggest lesson that you've learned um thus far in your career Um, You know, I'm still learning, Mm. but one of the biggest lessons is definitely that you can't do it alone. Mm, mm -hmm. That's big. To ask for help, Mm -hmm. to ask for help. And that is something I am continuing to learn on a daily basis. Um, I do not like to ask for help. I like to try and do everything myself. Yeah. Um, And that is not how, how things can work. No. No. So yeah, so that is uh, that you can't do it alone. Um, and then something else that I was just speaking about yesterday, actually, is that the right people will come to you, mm. you know, so sometimes we worry, especially, you know, with myself, with the youth dance company, or, you know, maybe yourself with your classes, mm-hmm. you're like, you, you have goals for certain numbers, why am I not getting the numbers or whatever. But, you know, I know I don't really just take the time to think and that the right people who need to be there are there, you know? So if it's five people or 50 people, they are there because they value what you do and that is enough, you know? I feel like I'm quite a lucky person. I've met some incredible people along the way. Mm -hmm. Whenever I work, even when I was starting the youth dance company, I remember I didn't have a venue. I didn't have a studio think two weeks before the auditions I didn't have a studio and I had been looking everywhere for a studio and I didn't think to ask um someone like Erdang actually which is where we 
been for a long time. Yeah. And I was actually at an ADAD event. They, cause they used to be based there. Yeah. What, yeah. yeah. They used to be based there. Um, so it was an event there and I was in there and I was like, well, why don't I ask here for yeah. a studio? And I asked them and the, the prices were, was in my, um, your budget, budget. Yeah. and it's so central the location's amazing yeah. and it's you know a, a reputable school because I wanted the students to be see you know other dance things happening I didn't just want to be in like a community hall for example mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted them to see dance yeah um all the time um yeah and I'd gone to other places and the prices were astronomical and yeah two weeks before I was there Erzang, I spoke to the woman who was dealing with the bookings at the time she's like yeah it's free on a Sunday um and you know just things like that always just kind of line up <laughs> for me yeah. so yeah the right people will come to you absolutely at the right time absolutely yeah so mm-hmm. what is your vision um for yourself in the future just you Kamara Gray what is your mm-hmm. vision for yourself well, I mean, one thing that I've written down, because I believe in vision boards and writing things down, mm-hmm. the one thing that I've written down is choreographer for the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Work. For sure. That is happening. Um, that would be amazing. I would love to have, um, you know, a really established youth dance company. Um, international travel has been such a big part of my life so I'd love to have a touring company Mm. um, a youth company and a professional company that travels the world um, dealing with international exchanges um, which you know we've already started to do but Mm -hmm. having that set up as a regular thing um, a scholarship program which again we're doing now already but you know just things that are embedded as part of the dance landscape that people know that at this this time every year that that happens you know the scholarship program or the international exchange program or those types of things. But yeah, definitely the choreography is, is my vision. Yeah. Nice. And you've kind of told us a little bit about your vision for um, AYD. Is there anything else that you want for the future of artistry youth? I mean, to have our own premises would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, a space where you can really um, do a lot of different things on the youth level and on the professional level um, and having just really solid partnerships with established companies and artists and, um, and just the international element needs to be woven into it. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're, we're well on our way, but um, that is, that is my vision. Definitely a building. Yeah. So tell us, what are you working on now? So uh, now, I mean, I mentioned scholarships. I'm really, I'm really passionate just about making sure that young black dancers have opportunities and know that they're pipeline. So we've partnered with five um, leading colleges in the UK to create a program called AYD 100. Mm-hmm. It started last year, not last year, it started in 2019 when we had the goal um, 
and Heather, you were part of this, to take a hundred young black dancers to see the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theatre at Sadler's Wells. And from that, it it developed to, why didn't we create a series of workshops um, with colleges so they can learn about their training options as well as professional? And why don't we ask the colleges to give scholarships? So that's what Mm -hmm. we did. And that's what we're doing again. Um, So we've got the AYD 100 workshop. It's a week long of workshops. We've got London Studio Centre, Erdang Academy, Arts Ed, LMA and Bird College they'll all be giving workshops and not just that they'll be giving scholarships to young people as well for a range of either short-term or long-term um, programs so short-term or full-time programs sorry um, which is just incredible so you know they they not only learning about what's out there because lots of people don't know the next steps mm-hmm. I want to be a dancer but what do I do mm-hmm. where do I go um and then we also have Disney's The Lion King. He'll be teaching a masterclass and have the, a Q&A session to speak to them. We're going to have um, a dance pioneer um, there so that people can learn about the history as well. So lots of things um, involved, and that's from the 8th to the 14th of February online. Mm-hmm. And anyone interested can get tickets online at ayd100.eventbrite.com. Yes, and we're going to include that link also in the description of the episode. Um, so you'll be able to access it there. And then, of course, um, you can connect with artists who you've danced on all their social platforms. So speaking of which, can you let the listeners know how they can hear more about you, more about AYD 100? Um, how can they connect with you, Kamara? Connect with me online on social media. We are Artistry Youth Dance on all platforms. Uh, Twitter, it is AY Dance Co. Facebook and Instagram, it is Artistry Youth Dance. And our website is artistryyouthdance.com. And again, for the AYD 100 program, it is just AYD 100.100.eventbrite.com. Thank you. So if you didn't catch that, we'll have some of those links in our description box so you can do that. So um, we're about to round up our conversation, but obviously, Kamara, you know what the next question is going to be. It's not a surprise. We ask all of our guests this. No, no, I know the next question. (laughs) No, it's not a surprise, but ask it anyway, and I'll act surprised. Okay. So it's in the name of the show. Which do you prefer, yams or yuca? (laughs) um so I really prefer yams Mm -hmm. um well yams in the sense my knowledge of yams before was sweet potato Mm -hmm. um and I love sweet potato fries Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I love sweet potato fries they're good yeah and what's what's the perfect meal with those sweet potato fries um gosh I mean I like when I celebrate Thanksgiving here so I I've taken on board the American uh tradition of celebrating (laughs) (laughs) Thanksgiving so maybe just like um so I like when you have a turkey or a chicken or a bit like a Sunday meal but with sweet potato fries can we do that we're doing that yeah we can do that so yeah exactly so you're gonna have the chicken you're gonna have some macaroni and cheese um as well in there as maybe mix it up with a bit of a caribbean flavor so rice and peas as well Mm -hmm. yeah maybe jerk chicken i'm switching it up here i've changed my mind mind. scratch that new meal scratch that new meal we're going caribbean we're gonna have jerk chicken rice and peas with uh 
sweet potato, potato fries. fries. I like that. Mm-hmm. We got to start yeah. building that recipe book. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's the, that's the next so. project. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. We have so many on the <laughs> table, don't we? We'll give ourselves some time. We'll get settled uh, yes. in here. We'll give ourselves some time. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But don't worry, so, it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So, yeah, so that's what it's going to be. Nice, nice. Well, you guys, again, please be sure to connect with Kamara for AYD 100. It's going to be amazing. So if you are or if you know any young dancers that are interested, um, they don't have to be fully trained. They can just come in as beginners, take some classes, learn about some of their training options out there, get a new experience. Please check out AYD 100. And that's it for us today. Um, we're not going to do a sweet and savory moment because, well, that would be awkward. <laughs> sweet and savory <laughs> talking about ourselves. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> but we'd like to thank you guys for listening. And please be sure to share your sweet and savory moments using the hashtag Yams and Yuka. That's right. Don't forget to tag us at Yams and Yuka on Twitter and at Yams and Yuka podcast on Instagram and Facebook book alternatively you can email us at yams and yuka podcast at gmail.com again that is yams and yuka podcast at gmail.com yes we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation we switched it up a bit but we hope you learned something new and let's keep the discussion going feel free to share your stories as well and we will chat with you guys again next time bye bye